The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. episode of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Orange 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined as always by Hudson Standish, and uh, I would say the vibes are really strong to start the show. Uh, Much better. As we have kicked off right at the end of the Texas-Gonzaga basketball game. Um, Hudson, I'm, as you know, a casual basketball observer, but did tune in for the second half. Really great effort, but man, how cool was uh, did the Moody Center look on TV? Honestly, how cool was that? I mean, Texas just blowing the roof off of the Moody Center. Obviously, they've played a few games there, but this was really the marquee matchup that Chris Beard had circled. And I just want to give a shout out to the student section, the corral. I thought they were incredible all night long. And Tyrese Hunter, Marcus Carr, um, Christian Bishop, Dylan Disu, Dylan Mitchell. Oh, my goodness, with his performance in the, you know, last few minutes of the game it was just incredible that was one of the best texas basketball performances that i've really seen uh since i've been alive and obviously uh contributor to the show guy frazier will eventually come on and i'm curious for him how this win stacks up with others because obviously this isn't a basketball show but once the football season ends, obviously talking Texas will kind of convert into one. And Mike, last March Madness, you kind of caught the Texas basketball fever. And with this team, I think it'd be hard for anybody not to. You know what it was? It was um, I went to like a couple of games. Uh, we were like we were a junior day one time and had nothing to do between that time where everybody checks in and then everybody comes out and there was a basketball game on campus. So guy and I went over to that. And so it was just, you know, I got kind of caught up with that and yeah, I enjoyed watching the team. You got, I mean, we talked about it in our group chat, so this is not me uh, reading your mind, but we got to get down to the Moody center soon because it looks like an absolute blast. Like just imagining the vibes from when Texas had good performances at the Irwin center, which still holds a place in my heart, but the new place looks like a ton of fun. I think it's just the difference of being designed for that. Whereas the the Irwin center, like as, as cool as it was, was not designed for college basketball. uh, I guess not a, I I don't know, maybe you can correct me, not a college basketball program like Texas, maybe Indiana or a place like that, um, or Kentucky, I don't even know, could could fill a place like that out, but it just wasn't going to happen in Texas. Um, Can I, one more basketball thing before we uh, move on to, I think it's one thing to really love the Chris Beard, like hustle and defense approach, like that is something that I think is easy to buy into, especially if you don't have the top-end talent. But seeing this system with top-end talent, like 
Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carnes second year looks so much better. Obviously, Dylan Mitchell and Arterio Morris are potential first round NBA draft picks next year. Like it's one thing to play that hard, you know, um, Chris Beard style of defense, but then adding that with an offense that can go out there and put 93 on the Zags is pretty special. And we'll get to recruiting soon, I promise. Yeah, anytime and anytime you got a guy like Brock Cunningham on your team, I'm in. Brock had probably the best three-minute stretch of his career during this game where he scored seven in a row on his own, multiple different ways. He had a three-pointer, a transition bucket off of a steal, and was really taking it to Drew Timmy, who is a pretty consensus All-American, you know, multiple-time All-American. So I know that Brock's your guy, and I immediately sent you a text that was like, hey – I don't know if you're watching, but um, if you aren't, tune in because your guy Brock has brought it tonight. It was summer calling it Brocktoberfest. Um, he, yeah, he you, called, you sent a banger. You yeah. sent a banger that even though it's November 16th, it feels like Brocktober. Yeah, I he belongs. Uh, people know me, know I'm a hockey guy. He belongs in a hockey ring. He's a goon. Can, can I um, – get you to tell one more story. I know you tweeted it out, so some people will have already um, viewed it, but your Dylan Mitchell story from a visit last year, I believe the Oklahoma State game. Yeah, I was down on the field taking pictures, and, I, you know, I it's very rare a football recruit walks by me and I don't recognize it by face. But I didn't recognize this kid, and obviously he's tall. What is Dylan Mitchell, like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, something like that? Yeah, he's 6'8". So I was just like, tight end? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, and I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, okay. he had, And he had some, like, staffers around him that I did not recognize from the football staff. So I, I, I texted Nick Harris at the time who was doing basketball yeah. recruiting for us. And I was like, hey, who is this guy? And he's like, oh, that's Dylan Mitchell. He's going to be, like, a first-round pick. And I was like, okay, I'll take a picture of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it, too, because – like sometimes you do see people on visits, right. That you're not totally sure of who it is, but not that amount of people surrounding them to where you're like, I know this guy's a big deal, but why can't I place him? Oh, and, that makes sense. He's just, I mean, like know, one of the best players for Montverde Academy. One of the best prep high schools in the country. I'm trying to think like Malik Agbo, who's six, five, six, six was down there on the field. Ernest green, who's six, five, six, six was down there on the field. And like Dylan Mitchell was just towering over everybody, and that's when I was like, <laughs> I was Joe. I'm kind of I'm halfway joking about me thinking he was tight end. I mean, I'm like clearly he's a basketball player. I just don't yeah. know how good of a basketball player he is, or who he is, or what is you know anything about him. So really, um, I didn't get to see the first half, so I don't know how he did, but uh, really put a exclamation point on the end of that game with some thunderdumps. Oh yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, um, let's. Like, let's yeah, I was about to say and. End, end of the basketball minutes, uh, let's get into some recruiting. N- not as high vibes, I guess. We I was about to say, let's disperse with the good vibes and get to uh, last weekend. Hudson, we talked about it last week, that they had the table was set for them. The, the steak was, was bought. Um, it just needed to be prepared and cooked correctly uh, and served, and it was not. And it, it's... They had to win that game to capitalize on the recruiting momentum they had. And I say that, and I said that last week, and I do believe it. I also think had they lost a 38-41 to game where it was a shootout, it would have probably been a little different. The way that game played out with 
basically offensive struggles out the wazoo. Um, really kind of – and some operational issues we'll talk about here in a minute – really put a damper on what could have been a special, special weekend for this program. I think what's so frustrating is that there are still some positives to take out. Like, it's not a complete failure. Like, the defense looked so good, and Anthony Hill, we know, enjoyed his visit, and that's still a massive recruitment. Arch Manning was at it tonight, still recruiting uh, Anthony Hill through the whistle. But the offensive struggles when you have Deuce Robinson and DeAndre Moore in attendance who still kind of talked up the visit, but just it's not ideal. And there were quite a few underclassmen and people just watching at home that were expecting this to be a breakthrough moment for Texas. And it wasn't. And we were very excited heading into the game because of the opportunity and at the end of the day, you just don't convert and it's, unfortunate but now there's a little bit of a sour taste uh in the Longhorns mouth heading into a road trip to Lawrence which as we talk about on the Talking Texas podcast you know is a bit of a boogeyman for the horn so it's not ideal and you know I'm sure you were going to bring it up next Mike but there's some operational stuff as far as just the visit weekend itself that was a little bit concerning before we get into that let's talk about more of those official visitors kind of in a little bit of detail. Um, And I do want to mention that we felt pretty firm going into the weekend that, I mean, we had multiple commitment stories prepped for that weekend um, and felt pretty good about the intel we were getting that a couple of those could go down. And I think that um, the way that game played out prevented those things from happening. And that's, you know, not to say they're not going to eventually get these guys that were on these visits, but, man, you, you could have rolled out of that weekend with a big win for your season and a, a lot of uh, momentum on the recruiting trail. You mentioned Anthony Hill. Um, I think from the people I've talked to, he had the best feedback on the visit, um, which is, I, I mean, I guess if you're, if you're ranking the guys who are on campus, I think you could – make an argument that Anthony Hill was the most important prospect. So if you, I would, if you're going to say, you know, let's, let's get it right with one guy. I think they got it right with him. And I think a large part of that was because the defense played so well um, that, and that's been part of what's kept uh, Anthony Hill and his family in on Texas is the development of the linebackers, Jalen Ford and DeMarvin Overstrom both had really strong games. You know, the defense I think was put into a lot of tough positions, but they figured it out. Um, and Anthony Hill got to spend a lot of time with Arch Manning. He got a lot of uh, time with, with the staff. And, and you know, they, they definitely rolled out the red carpet for him as they should have. Yeah, and when you're thinking about managing the short-term and long-term of recruiting, there really isn't a more important person than Anthony Hill that was on the visit weekend. And I still feel very good about where Texas sits. I think the best way to put it is that they're in the driver's seat of the recruitment, right? But at the same time, I think that there was definitely a greater than zero chance that with a big weekend, he could have just popped while he was on campus. So you don't love the fact that you don't close the deal with somebody like that. But at the same time, Considering what he could add to the Texas Longhorn team as far as an immediate impact at linebacker next year, in a spot to where unless Jalen Ford comes back and there's been draft buzz there that, you know, we've kind of been all over since the offseason, honestly, you know, it, it, it you can't really go overstate the importance of that recruitment. 
three pass catchers from out uh, out west, uh, DeAndre Moore, Jacoby Lane, and uh, Deuce Robinson, all on campus. Um, you would think, obviously, that the offensive performance, if it was a better one, probably would have scored more points. I think with DeAndre Moore, it's going to come down to uh, those relationships that he has. He's known Sark since uh, he was in eighth grade. He's been recruited heavily by Jeff Banks at times, uh, likes Britt and Marion a lot. I talked to a source near uh, DeAndre earlier this week who told me that regardless of him being committed to Louisville, they think this one comes down to Texas and Georgia, and they think that those teams are running dead even right now. So um, I know a lot of people in Austin are, are pretty confident on him. As for Lane, you know, he doesn't uh, – he's been hard to get in touch with, so I haven't got anything directly from him. Um, but there is a lot of confidence on him as well. I think that one's probably going to be a little harder if I had to handicap it just uh, reading the signs myself. And then Deuce Robinson, I think they gave it their best shot with Deuce. It's just going to be <laughs> – you're, you're in it with some heavyweights. Um, you know, USC has been a longtime favorite. Georgia's a big-time program when it comes to tight ends. I just think it's going to be tough regardless. I mentioned it on the uh, 24-7 sports, uh, you know, college football recruiting show on YouTube when I did my hit there. Like, it's tough to recruit against Georgia when it comes to tight end. And, you know, the intel that we've kind of gotten seems that the Bulldogs maybe have the lead right now. Like, <laughs> recruiting against the pitch of Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers' usage, it's pretty tough. And then with USC, the – the fact that they are kind of the longtime favorite, I felt really optimistic about Deuce Robinson for a while with the Arch Manning factor and how they were using Jatavian Sanders in the offense. But, you know, after that performance, it's going to be a much tougher road. Marcus Steele, the defensive lineman from Newman Forest, also on campus for an official visit. Again, I think the defensive performance helped out there. Uh, it sounds like Marcus is actually going to make his decision at the end of the month. He's kind of uh, made yep. up his mind to go into the final process of it. I think personally it's going to come down to Texas or TCU. Um, I just think that, you know, I think we'll see. I, I don't feel firm one way or another. I would probably lean a little bit towards TCU at this point, though. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because when I talked to Marcus, um, I believe in October or late September, um, I've seen him a couple times this year, it seemed like he really wanted to make the call right after his last official visit. And he's still kind of on that timeline, but when you're playing a team and Texas had this earlier this year with Colton Vosick, when you're playing a direct recruiting competitor in these individual recruitments, you know, you have the chance for an extra boost. And I'm wondering if maybe TCU got that with the fact that Marcus saw them really embarrass Oklahoma at home and then go on the road to Texas in that environment and get the win in Austin. Yeah, um, I, I think that's a that's a great point. There were some other. Uh, I I have one uh, that I think that we definitely need to mention. Jelani McDonald. That's where I was going next. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, some other unofficial visitors who were on campus. One notable that didn't make it was JV Taviano, which people on our board are tired of us talking about JV Taviano. It, frankly, it's our job to keep people updated on it. I just think that you know the signs keep bearing out that he keeps saying, hey, I'm going to visit and doesn't visit. I don't think those are good signs for Texas. Jelani McDonald was a guy that we had on commit watch kind of going into the game. Um, went away, 
I wouldn't say it was a bad visit. I wouldn't say it was a great visit. I think it was a, um, there were some, uh, some highs and lows. And I think with Jelani, TCU has recently gotten involved for him. That's another situation like with Marcus Deal, where, you know, it might have been a more impressive performance for TCU on his front. And uh, he has a, uh, some family ties to, uh, to TCU as well. For me with McDonald, it's obviously, Mike, we've talked about him almost all year on this podcast that he's been a guy even before they offered. And you went out and saw them at, uh, saw uh, him at Connolly with Kobe Black. Like he's somebody that we've really coveted. And it's unfortunate that they really could have made a defining kind of statement in this recruitment this weekend. And there are some things um, like I think you put it perfectly. It's not a complete disaster of a visit, but it's definitely not the um, not the level of visit we were expecting, considering that, you know, I put in a crystal ball for Jelani McDonald and I believe a few others followed. So, yeah, not ideal. Yeah, and I think that the biggest sort of negative feedback we've heard is uh, what we would call operational issues. When we say that, it's kind of the way a visit plays out. It's a lot of the little things. It's, um, you know, as far as did you get parked in the place that they told you to park? Did you have to wait forever for the shuttle? Basically, they park away from DKR. There are golf carts shuttling recruits back and forth from those parking lots to the facility. And Hudson, you and I, especially like I don't, I haven't been down to Austin in uh, a while, probably since the summer. So I don't know what the state around the stadium is, but um, I know that when we were there for the spring game, and I, I actually I lied, I was there for uh, week one against Monroe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I and I, it was kind of the same then. Even though they had finished the Moody Center, there was still a lot of construction ongoing between the Moody Center and uh, Moncrief. And so it, it, it was causing some logistical nightmares as far as people waiting. And we saw it at the spring game. There were a lot of people, who uh, recruits and their families that didn't know where to go once they got there, that, you know, couldn't catch a golf cart, that were waiting forever for things. And, you know, a lot of times when these kids come, they bring their parents, sometimes they bring their grandparents. Who, they can't walk the campus. They, they yeah. rely on those sorts of things. So um, I remember at, at Monroe, I, my wife and I were walking to the game from where our Uber dropped us off. And I just saw Zeno Mayazulu and his grandmother, like sitting at the, at the, uh, uh, the tram stop basically waiting for a golf cart. I, I don't know how long they were sitting there waiting, but um, I think that those things play into it. I think the weather played into it a lot. I mean, if it wasn't cold, yeah. miserable, that that's probably a different type of thing. Um, and it was just when you host that group of kids, and I talked to somebody in Texas who said they had over 150. I think the number was like somewhere around 173. Um, it's tough. You don't get, you can't put your your you know your delicate hands on on a visit and make sure that everything goes well. Even you know like when they host UTSA, they had a handful of recruits there, but they had like three or four guys that they really wanted to make sure they smashed the visit with. And they had the staffing to do that. They don't with a, a visit of that size. I think some things slipped through the cracks. I think some balls were dropped places. And I think it's, it's obviously a bad mark on Texas. I think it obviously, it, it happens everywhere though. I mean, I, it, it's just a very hard thing to do. I think you're correct that some of what we've heard happens everywhere. And it's just, 
especially some of the younger recruits, maybe not understanding that these type of oversights or issues happen regardless of where you're at on a big visit weekend. Like you hear it sometimes at Alabama and Georgia when they're hosting a ton of kids that, you know, certain players might feel slighted with how much attention. But there are also some things I should say that we heard that I think are pretty unacceptable at a program that recruits at the level that Texas does. So it's there's a delicate balance, but I think the theme of the weekend still just has to be opportunity lost. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. I think what I'm saying with um, it happens a lot of places is more like what you said. I think that everybody expects to come and it's going to be like junior day and all the coaches are going to be, and it's like, Hey, they're working. This is a big game. Yeah, the, exactly. The coaches are, are busy. Um, and he, I think Ryan day said it like in a press conference or an interview or something of like, Hey, when you come during the season, don't worry about all the like the dressing up in uniforms and all the all that stuff. Just come to watch a good game. And I think yeah. that that's what kids have to kind of figure out is it's not you're not going to get a ton of personal attention on those visits. It's like the the cool part of the visit for you is being able to get a ticket and and get on the field and be able to watch front row a game, you know, with a matchup like that. And so I think there are it's not a hundred percent on them. There are some expectations that they have to fill on the same token. Those people are taking their time and money to drive down and, and uh, spend time in Austin and they want a good experience for that. And I get that from their side as well. I think that's perfectly said. All right. Um, let's do this. Let's throw it to break. And then uh, we will come back with Guy Frazier in our high school pick segment. All right, and we are back. We appreciate our uh, our sponsors, whoever they are, for everything they did there. Uh, we bring in a very stressed out guy, Frazier. Guy is in crunch time uh, in business school. Guy, how you doing? Good, Mike. Uh, I feel like I could give a dissertation to our audience on the topic of introverted leadership in the uh, in the workplace. Please so, don't. <laughs> I, I don't know how much. What'd you say? So please don't. <laughs> yeah. Please yeah, don't. I don't know if I want to. Either. The, the vibes. Uh, I'll be the vibes. The midnight oil. The vibes from the first segment were low enough. I don't think we need to need to do yeah. that. Um, all right. It is. Uh, you are. I, we do appreciate you joining us because um, we know you are busy and you're swamped with the schoolwork stuff. But it's a big week for Highland Park. We're going to get to that. The pickle. We we can't we can't preview that game without you uh, on. The, I told Hudson earlier in the week. I guess guy can just send us his picks, and we can read them on the show. But like we we really need you for this, so we appreciate you uh, coming on, Hudson. Uh, do we have a record update? Not that it matters since uh, the whole season's under. Yeah, I was press. about to say season <laughs> playing played under protest for Mike, but. For the first time, I think this year, Guy has joined me in a tie for first place. Hudson and Guy are at 44 and 19. Pretty good record. Mike, three games back at 41 and 22, but there is going to be ample opportunity this week for a comeback because we have uh, we have our normal five games, and then we have what I think is a Rio Grande Valley versus Corpus Christi bonus slugfest twofer that is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, since we're, we're going to respect guys time here. Um, so guy, before we get to the picks, you're a Texas basketball fan. Anything you'd like to say yeah. on uh, the performance tonight? 
Yeah, I was listening to Hudson's kind of thoughts and what he wanted to bounce to me here. Um, no pun intended, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was a really fun night. I was telling Hudson in our pre-show, I think what was fun about it was some of the best plays or most influential plays came on defense and it led to offense. So I think once they kind of got things rolling and got the building behind them, it showed uh, what sort of home court advantage Texas can have in the Moody. Um like Hudson and, and you as well, Mike, you know, the, the drum was a special place, but, and it was nice, but it, it lacked kind of an overall experience. It just, they struggled to fill it. So it was what it was, but to kind of answer Hudson's uh, question, I overheard, you know, those games, that game tonight reminded me of some of those games against UConn 10, 11 years ago, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Providence, Arizona, some really cool home games, Arizona, um, but they've lost a lot of those games. You know, Kimmel Walker in 2011 walks into the drum and, and puts up a circus shot in overtime that kind of, you know, deflated the place more or less. And then um, I guess from a winning perspective, that reminded me of Wake Forest, I think, in like 2003 or 2004 where P.J. Tucker just went off. Mike may remember that. Uh, uh, but I, I was in attendance for UNC where Javon Felice has yep, the game winner. That's another one. This felt better to me than that. And I was in attendance for that one. Which yeah, I would makes, say just stomping someone like that. Agreed. Makes it feel that much better. And, and that was the thing about Wake Forest that year. They were number four in the country. And I want to say Texas won by 15 or 20 points behind P.J. Tucker. So that's kind of a similar type game. But, you know, a lot of those big games we've won on the road but lost at home at times. So. Yeah. Um, Providence is a good example. We got them at Dunkin' Donuts Center, but they beat us at home in that back-to-back year stretch with Rick. So, uh, I don't know, great game for Texas, great game for, for Coach Beard and what they're trying to build there. Um, obviously, they were good last year, but I think this program you know, has steps still to take for where they want to go. It is by district week in the state of Texas. Um, pound for pound, I'm sorry, not by district week. It's area week. Uh, by district week was last week. Um, I had I had our sheet scrolled down to the first week. Um, it is area week. Pound for pound, round two is some of the most fun matchups in in the playoffs. I think if, if you like, if you look at the playoffs, it's the even number rounds. It's the second round. It is the regional final in the fourth round, and then obviously the state championship, which would be by default, the sixth round. Um, those are like, I think, where you get the most fun matches, but I love round two week. I love round three week because it's Thanksgiving and you get Black Friday and you're at games all weekend and all that, but round two is is really where I come to play. So um, we've got a great slate. Guy, do you want to go ahead and kick it off? So, Mike, when you say you come to play, you mean like your record should improve this week? I uh, the the record does not matter because the game it's being played under protest. I just really don't care about the pick'em anymore. Uh, what I mean, guy, is I have scheduled uh, five games for this weekend. That's what I mean when I say come to play. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, for transparency to our listeners, Hudson and I both collabed on this list. Um, with my busy schedule, I needed some help. So he and I discussed on the phone yesterday. I think we have five good games for for our listeners this week. And then, like Hudson alluded to, we've got a little bit of a bonus deal that's a first for the show that I think the three of us will enjoy as well as our listeners. So without further ado, uh, let's get to game number one. 
5.30 p.m. Friday night or Friday evening, I guess you could say, at uh, Andrew's Mustang Bowl, cool venue out west. We've got a 6A Division I clash between the El Paso Pebble Hills Spartans who enter this game at 10-1 and as they take on the North Crowley Panthers who are a perfect 11-0, one of the few left in the state to have that uh, mark as an unperfect season. Panthers enter this game as a 12-point favorite according to Dave Campbell's computer. The wheel's spoken. Hudson will go first. I'll go second. Mike once again in the trail. A lot of fun things with this game from a week ago leading into this one. I'll let Hudson touch on that, and we'll go from there. Yeah, guy hinted at it, but Pebble Hills got their first-ever playoff win, I believe, in an absolute rout of Odessa Permian. And that's a Permian squad that I think we kind of begrudgingly had to respect because – I picked against them, I know, twice, uh, and they beat Tescosa and Harker Heights. Pebble Hills is legit. To me, this isn't a 12-point spread. This is a coin flip game, especially with the travel. That's one thing for North Crowley that I am just a little bit worried about, is having to play this game in Andrews is a completely different vibe. And, I mean, off the top of my head, y- y'all would both know better than I would. When's the last time North Crowley probably has traveled this far for a game? Likely not in any of these guys' careers, I'd assume. No, I don't believe yeah. so. No, I don't think so. Okay. So that's something that's a little bit of a challenge for me with the Panthers. We talked about it on our bracket breakdown show with how much we like them, and I'm going to stick with North my North Crowley pick, but man, if – if I was, I'm pretty close to picking Pebble Hills because, you know, had him over Permian last week. And I don't know. There's just something about this team with Gail Ochoa that I really like a lot. But again, North Crowley and Ray Gates has a good enough resume to where I think you have to trust them in this situation. Yeah. So Hudson kind of touched on a good point there that that was indeed Pebble Hills uh, first ever playoff win. And it's somewhat poetic that it comes against one of the all time great high school football programs in Permian. I know Permian's not what they used to be, but they're still a formidable opponent. There's some talent over there still. And to get your first ever win against kind of the what is historically one of the bullies out west, um, that was really cool for the Spartans. I think Gail Ochoa was a big part of their success a week ago. That's someone who we talked about in our bracket breakdown and, and someone that the three of us um, have notoriously liked for a long time. Really good gunslinger in El Paso. All that being said, um, the more I think about this game, the more I think about what Mike and I were introduced to earlier this year when we saw North Crowley beat Lovejoy at home in a really just like declarative statement game. Um, and, and I like guys like Chris Jimerson, who Mike introduced us to uh, back in the horn scrimmage in the summer. But the guy that really stuck out that night was Camorian Pimpton, the tight end, that I believe is still committed to Vanderbilt unless something's yeah. changed. Um, and if the Doors can somehow sneak him into to Nashville and get that done, that's a huge like land for them. He's a really athletic guy at tight end, really cool sk- skill set, and was just really impressive that night. And that's not even mentioning Samaje Burrell, Texas commit on defense. So North Crowley's got some dudes that program's building. Ray Gates has it in the right direction. While North Crowley hasn't been into this type of territory in the playoffs in a long time, uh, I, I think they're built 
to win now uh, in some regards. And I think they do get this done. Um, you know, they, they do have to travel, but so does Pebble Hills. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. Give me North Crowley. Um, I don't know about the spread. I, I think North Crowley could cover that, but never know. Maybe the Spartans hold in, you know, hold in there and, and keep it tight. Uh, regardless, give me the Panthers. The travel worries me. The weather worries me. It's supposed to be like low of 30 uh, that night. But oh, um, I I was really impressed with what Pebble Hills did. I think that they, um, they really showed off, you know, what they I, – I think people are doubting them, and I would probably say myself, I'm, you know, not a lover of El Paso teams traditionally. Um, and I thought Permian was as much as, you know – a two or three round team as possible. Um, I just think the team speed at North Crowley is too great. Uh, Chris Jimerson, who, who Guy mentioned, um, uh, Samaje Burrell, who we've talked about, Kamarian Pimpton, that's a team that's built, they can kind of do it, you know, however way they want to. Um, they can line up and, and pound you in the run game or they can throw the ball over your head. Um, there are... Uh, his name is escaping me at the moment. I actually hear it is Cornelius Warren. I think is the uh, is is the game breaker for North Crowley on offense. He kind of plays running back, plays a little bit of slot, and he can absolutely go. He's going to be a name to get familiar with. I believe he's already on the Texas radar. Actually, um, he's a twenty twenty five prospect, and that's the thing. Guy mentioned this team is is kind of loaded to win now. They're also like kind of loaded to win in the future because a lot of their talent is 2025 heavy. Um, I remember, uh, you know, when, when uh, Courtney Allen was over there, he had told me, you know, this 2025 class is special. So I'm going to go with North Crowley uh, to get it done as well. So we have a perfect sweep there, correct, Hudson, or did you have Pebble Hills? Everybody had North Crowley, and we lead into the uh, almost – what uh, seven eight months in the making? Yellow brick yeah. road game guy. Can you can you talk the listeners through uh, how this became the yellow brick road? Game? Uh, and the backstory. Yeah. Yeah. So the backstory here and why we've alluded to this stupid phrase several times on my own doing. Um, you know when realignment happened back in what February. Um, Things fall into place, right? There, there was the question: Is Highland Park going to go Region One, or are they going to go Region Two? And and is that going to end up mattering? And, and it did matter. They get placed in Region One, uh, which at the time was seen okay. That's really good. If you're going to go D six A D two, you want to be in Region One. Um, but as we've seen in, in the last couple of weeks, some of the big dogs have dropped down into Region One with them, with like South Lake and, and people like that of the world. So that kind of goes away. But at the time in February, you're thinking that. They have an easy district, and the only thing they have to get past is the denton Geyer game. It, and the way the bracket set up, you just knew it was always going to happen in the area round. And so one day, Hudson and I are going back and forth about it, and I just said, man, this is the yellow brick road. It's just an easy path for a Scotty State semifinal game. Yeah. And, 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 and it's not so much that anymore, but no. the game is here. you know. Yeah. So and My main critique with it, which – Obviously, Guy understood at the time. He wasn't being super unreasonable. But my main critique is 
you laid out the yellow brick road moniker without addressing the fact that Denton Geyer, a state finalist from last year, was returning Jackson Arnold, Peyton Bowen, obviously Eli Bowen, unfortunately, out for the remainder of the year, uh, Ryan Yates, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's probably enough backstory. Guy, the wheel has chosen you first. Yeah, so the, the time is now. Uh, if our listeners hung in there with us a week ago, I mean, it took us like an hour to get through D1 of 6A, but <laughs> the sports gun to the head, I picked Geyer in the bracket. I said, you know, they've got a rough road to get to a state semi, but if they get there, they've really earned it, potentially beat someone like Highland Park, Byron Nelson, Southlake. I mean, the road is going to be stiff, um, but they're good enough to do it. With that said, though, you know I can't go against my guys. In the end, I'm going to go with Highland Park uh, just because sometimes you got to show some loyalty, right, Mike? And, uh, you know, it's rich you, you know, saying that. Drug. Yeah, it is rich, right? it's real rich. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the key here is, and I was going to text this earlier, but they kind of allude to this on Tep and Step. If they can keep Brennan Store clean and keep his jersey clean and keep him upright i think they have a chance going back to the wakeland game last year which hudson likes to needle me on he was under duress pressure and just looked uncomfortable the whole night it was cold weather and all that you're indoors now you've got good throwing conditions for both guys because guyer's got jackson arnold obviously who's the better of the two but if, if guys like lawson petty and robert sweeney this is a big game for robert test his medal here in this one um if guys like those two and the rest of their line can keep Brennan upright, and if he can get the balls to guys like Jay Cox, uh, Luke Herring, who I'm really excited for Mike to get his eyes on, because I, I do think he's a good late senior eval that can play Division One football. Um, Jackson Heiss, they, like they've got a really good receiver core. So I think this game can be really pointsy. Um, and if that happens – you know, Geyer's not been in a lot of close games, and, I, and I'd be curious to see how they react to that. Um, and, you know, I'm never worried about individuals beating Highland Park. It's if the team can. Um, so, look, if, if you made me a betting man, I'd probably go with Geyer. But I'm going to go with, with my heart here. Uh, give me the Scotty Magic for the Scots to find a way and a great one at the start on Friday night. A few points I want to riff off. One, the indoor thing I think is massive in favor of Highland Park. I'm with you there. Two, his name's Jay Cox, right? Correct. Probably the player I've been most impressed with for Highland Park. He is mm. very good. Truly fantastic player, and I think somebody that could really give the Geyer defense some problems. Um, and then three, I do agree with you that especially, like normally – it is really hard for an individual to beat Highland Park, but if there's maybe one individual in the state who I think could do it, it would be Peyton Bowen. Potentially the best player in the state of Texas. Um, I know that he was a little bit banged up, but I imagine that he'd probably play in this one. And I, I just like Geyer. Obviously, something that we probably should have mentioned as a caveat when we did our big bracket breakdown last week is that it's the playoffs. Anything can happen. There were some big four over one upsets last week. Once you get into the second round, a ton of stuff happens. So there, there are no certainties, even though Geyer is a 17 point favorite. And I think most people will be picking the Wildcats in this one. But, um, you know, I, I just I, I do think that they're 
they're the team to beat in this region, um, considering that they're a state finalist. And I don't know. I'm just going with them to win this one. I, I like Geyer. Mike, who do you have? I think when you lay this out on paper, if you look at it, yeah, maybe they can't get beat by one individual guy, but can they get beat by a couple individual guys? Because Jackson Arnold's pretty sensational. Landon Sides has been really good this year. Um, they've got a bit of a running game that can that can badger you. I don't love Highland Park's resume. I think they've played some close games against teams that they had no business being close games against. And that worries me. That said, Fair. that said, oh, whoa. <laughs> I have been on location at the star before and witnessed HP Magic up close. I've seen HP Magic over and over and over again. Guy, what do Scots do? They find a way. Well, they're not going to find a way this week. It's going to be Guy. Oh, and that's I'm so fast, sweetheart. And I'm Goodness. going. I'm going double digits. I mean, very like I think this is kind of like a boomer bust game, where it could be really close. Mike had me, or it could just be an ass game. Excuse the language, but it could be, and I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, one other guy I'd like to mention before we move on: Grayson Shrank, guy that's run like a ten eight or ten seven before he tore his ACL a couple years ago. Another weapon to look out from Highland Park. Just trying to make sure some of these these seniors get their love, but. Uh, It'll be a lot of fun. We'll see. Before we move on to, I do want to mention probably the team that we got the most DMs, or at least I did, um, after the bracket breakdown show was Denton Geyer, because I, I don't think people understood our point fully on just how hard it is in really competitive games to win, you know, four, five, six, where some teams on the road to the state title kind of get two or three gimmies. And I think. Mike, you saw firsthand a good example of that last week where you're in a competitive game with Flower Mound Marcus, so your starters have to be in the game, and a freak injury happens with Eli Bowen. Like, it's football. It's a physical game. Having to add an additional six games, it kind of takes a toll on the body, and it's unfortunate, but kind of that's what we were talking about of why it um, is really tough. I'm curious to see how much him being out is a factor, too. Because Park's not going to pick on them. It is going to be a factor because last week, as soon as he went out of the game, Marcus started finding passing success, going at his right. replacement. And they're not a deep like, team. Like they, they if one or two more injuries, and that's and that's kind of what we're talking about, guy. It's not that we don't think they're talented. Probably the most talented in that region, arguably the most talented. The in their depth class. isn't there. It's just tough. It's it's tough to go fight those yeah. battles. You don't like. I think I think Geyer is a better football team than Highland Park, but you also don't want to have to see Highland Park in the second round if you're a team like Geyer that has rolled through the season. Sure. Yeah, uh, it's the only 11-man game this week between two undefeated teams, so it should be a lot of fun. Uh, if you can't get out there 7 p.m. Friday in the Frisco area, uh, it will be on Valley Sports Southwest for listeners who just want to watch it statewide. So it should be and a unfortunately, fun will not be called by Craig Way. Uh, I texted him today. No. I was like, Craig, can we meet up at the start? And he was like, I gotta, I'm traveling because it's a 2.30 kick Saturday for Texas, Kansas. So maybe traveling. I just want to say quickly, too, since you brought up Craig Way, uh, heard a couple of his calls from the basketball game tonight. Obviously, he's the greatest of all time. 
a certified legend, but he really was on one tonight. I think he fed off the energy, some of his best stuff, and that's saying something. I love when Craig really just gets excited because he usually holds his composure pretty well, but, you know, when he gets excited, you can tell through the radio. A true gem. Okay. Game number three, another 6AD2 game. This time we will go down to Region 3, I believe. Battle of the Creeks. Battle of the Creeks, one that Hudson and I kind of eyeballed uh, together. 7 p.m. Friday at Houston's TD ECU Stadium. Horrible name stadium, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've got yeah. the Humble Summer Creek Bulldogs, who are 7-4, and four, playing against a crosstown foe in the Alvin Shadow Creek Sharks, who are a perfect 11-0. and 0. Um Summer Creek enters this game, though, however, as a two-point favorite. I think some of this can be lended to a stronger district that they play in, but uh, interesting little note by the DCTF computer. Will's spoken. Mike will go first. I'll go second. And Hudson will go third. I hate this game. Like, I hate picking this game. It's going to be a great game, but I hate picking this mm. game. And I hate that I'm first. Um Obviously, you look at it and you're like 11 and 0 versus 7 and 4, easy decision, right? Shadow Creek, a team that's got a lot of team offensive speed um, and defensive speed. I mean, they're a very athletic team. I've gone really back and forth on this. I think for me, the differentiator is Summer Creek's resume. Their losses are a four point loss to Klein Kane, a three point loss to Klein Collins, a seven point loss to North Shore, and a three point loss to Atascacita. I mean, those are four. I don't think they necessarily probably should have lost to the client teams, uh, you know, but the, the data points of North Shore and Atascacita being a combined 10 points are, that's a strong data point. Um, now, I think when you look at what Shadow Creek has done, they've been able to roll pretty well this year. Um, you know, they've got some impressive wins. They, you know, they beat Manville. Uh, Clear Springs is a good team that they defeated early in the year. But when they get into the district and they're playing Aleph Taylor, straight Jesuit and Brazoswood or Brazoswood was their first round opponent. Um, Alvin, Elif Elsick, they're not getting much of a test. It's to me tantamount to the teams like kind of like sock almost where you're not getting tested during your regular season. I'll go with the more battle tested team and I'll go with the DCTF computer and I'll go with summer Creek here. Yeah, so Mike covered a lot of the points that I would cover. I think they're the main ones to hit. Um, I think if you want to look at a historical perspective here, just going back one year, Summer Creek was kind of in a similar spot in 2021 when they entered the playoffs at 7-3. and three. And, you know, now, you know, I guess going to be freshman All-American or, or somewhere in that type of conversation. Kelvin Banks was on that team. This year's team, I have no idea who's really on it. But with that team with Kelvin a year ago, they end up going to what I think like a regional final. Hudson lost to they Katie got to, in a close one. They got to the regional final against Katie, and in all honesty, I was watching that game extremely closely. And yeah, they would have lost to um, Westlake in the next round, of course. But sure. I really thought Summer Creek was better than that Katie team. Yeah, and I think, and this is something I harped on a lot last year with this district. Uh, I think I kind of gave like a a monologue on it to Nick and Mike, but it was, you know, along the lines of like that district was kind of the haves and have nots, but then there was someone like summer Creek in the middle where they weren't like the North shore or Tascacitas of the world, but they were competitive. They never like lose bad. Um, and it's a program that typically is run really well. And 
Um, the last two years, it's led to a lot of wins, despite not always the best records. They make some runs. Um, I kind of like for that to happen again. I just don't think Shadow Creek is all that battle-tested. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did Duke Butler get hurt or get benched at some point? I think he was hurt. I want to say he was back last week against Brazoswood. I'll I'll confirm, but I remember seeing something about him potentially being back. And if he's back, I do think it makes a big difference. And that's part of the reason why I think Shadow Creek did struggle against Dawson especially. Okay. Well, I've been burned on quarterback situations, not really knowing a whole lot the last couple of weeks. So I maybe I'm burned again. But I think I'm going to roll with Summer Creek here. This is probably – I know the Shadow Creek team has college-level prospects, but this is also probably the uh, Shadow Creek team that I'm the least experienced with. I don't know a ton about them. So uh, give me Summer Creek. I think I just like the program better, um, and I kind of like what they did a year ago to maybe happen again this year um so duke butler was back last week obviously in their 77 to 7 route um not not a competitive team they were playing even though obviously with joe del carey and braziswood it's impressive they got to the playoffs lloyd devant is the guy for summer creek he's their running back who was a sophomore on the regional finalist team last year and has been really good once again um for the bulldogs I've gone back and forth on this a ton. I leaned Summer Creek, and honestly, if y'all I, – I don't know. I've gone back and forth so many times that I think I'm just going to do the safe play and roll with the consensus so I don't get um, snake bitten on a team that I don't fully believe in in Shadow Creek, even though I think the DCTF computer probably – this is some of the, you know its best work as far as uh, setting lines because a two-point – like it just makes a ton of sense to me. So Summer Creek sweep for um, the state of recruiting boys. Okay, so we've got two sweeps so far. Okay, moving on to our fourth game. This will be our quote-unquote small school game of the week. The location of this game is just too perfect. It's it's where I would expect this game to be played. 7 p.m. Friday at Midlothian's Midlothian ISD Stadium. We've got the 11-0 Perfect Anna Coyotes taking on the Stephenville Yellow Jackets, who are sitting at nine and two. Anna enters this game as a six-point favorite over the reigning state champions in four AD one. The wheel's spoken. Hudson will go first. Mike will go second, and I'm in the trail. We have showered just praise on this Anna team all year. Um, Obviously, the Coyotes' best season already in school history. They're 11-0. I believe they've only had three other 10-win seasons um, in the program history. They have a legitimate – he's not a Power 5 commit, but he's a Power 5 talent in Breezy Dubar, who I do think is the best player on the field. And when you're talking 4A football especially, if you have the best player on the field and if the best player on the field is a running back – you know, your chances of winning just go up drastically. Um, that being said, though, I'm going to try to make it quick. It's kind of a deflating pick. I'm going with Stephenville because the more I thought about it, I just trust, you know, the the prestige programs in the playoffs. And the fact that Anna has never been in this situation, even though I respect Coach Parr and that and what he's building there a ton, you know, Stephenville has a two point loss against. At China Spring, who I think we consensus 
you know, picked as one of the top two teams in the state. And, you know, they lost to Alvarado, uh, Alvarado, sorry, in a letdown game, but I kind of think they figure it out here and get what I would consider a deflating win just because it would be such a great story if Anna was able to get to a regional final. Um, yeah, I'll make this simple. I said on the bracket breakdown, I think Stevenville's played with their food a little bit too much. They've walked the line. Um, I had Anna winning the region. I love Breezy Dubar. I think he can carry them to a win. Give me the desert dogs. Oh, 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 to get the win. <laughs> Oh, hang on, Hudson. Did you not have Anna also as a regional finalist? I did. This is a this is a flop. This is no, a, I mean, you're, you're probably bad. making the smart pick, but since I don't care about the result because the season is being played under protest, it's being played under protest. I could just make the picks I want to make. So I, you know, went against the grain and actually had Stephenville. I think in the state championship or in the state semifinal, I had them win in this region. Um, and I'm going to stick to my guns on that. Hudson covered a lot of the same points I would have covered. I will say, I would have agreed to some extent that they played with their food at some point this year. But I think we've also learned that some of these teams they had close games with are better than initially what we thought. Now, you winning over Midload Heritage, who's moved up to 5A, we've figured out that they're pretty good. They beat Everman a couple weeks ago, won a district championship. You're right that the three game stretch of Everman, Decatur, and Abilene Wiley, every single it team looks is a so lot much better. better. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like I, I clowned Abilene Wiley for a couple of years because when they went from four A to five A, they became non-existent, and they're not that bad for the first time in a long time. You know, they hammer someone like Brownwood, who's an arch rival, hated rival, um, and Brownwood, I've heard, is, is not bad. I don't know a ton about them. But it's like some of these wins, like they've won big against some good competition and they've won close against what we figured out to be better than what we initially thought. Their loss against China Spring is nothing to hold your head over. The only loss, and it's one of two, the Alvarado loss is kind of questionable. Absolutely. I don't know what to make of that. You know, I, I think you could maybe say that they let one loss turn into two losses. Agreed. But... um. With all that being said, I like this Stephenville like team. Great I like Ryder Lambert, that quarterback. I'm not as high on him as other people, but I think he's a good high school quarterback. Um, give me Sterling Doty and the Yellow Jackets to uh, get another playoff win. Before we go to our last official game, I do want to say, I think Mike and I maybe maybe talked about this at towards the end of the regular season. I think that next week there is a chance that Guy or Guy and I are really shooting ourselves in the foot and just kind of pissed off at the fact that we didn't take Anna. Because the, to me, I do get a little bit of a team of destiny vibe with them. I mean, they did win a game earlier this year on a walk-off hook and ladder, perfectly executed for like 70 yards. Sure. Like there just is something, especially in small school football, about – a senior class coming together and having the, you know, best season in school history that just kind of gives me chills and is enough to overpower a, you know, historic uh, blue blood program like Stephenville. So I, there definitely is a chance for that in this game. And I think that Anna's probably appropriately favored considering their resume. Yeah. And I, I think we all agree. We're like, we're all big breezy fans here, but. Uh, just give me the yellow jackets. Um, okay, our final game of our weekly five-game slate before we get to the fun bonus round. 
Uh, we've got a 5A Division One game, so back up to the big school divisions. 7.30 p.m. Friday at the Irving School Stadium as they go by in Dave Campbell's Texas football world. I'll let Mike give his dissertation on that. But uh, we've got the Frisco Reedy Lions, who are 11-0, perfect record, taking on the Lancaster Tigers, who are 9-2. Despite the record differences, Lancaster actually enters this game as a 17-point favorite, according to Dave Campbell. Computer. Has to be has to be juiced by their losses being Denton Geyer and then a close one at Longview. Yeah, I think I that's what says so. The wheel's spoken. I'm going to go first. Hudson will go second, and Mike's in the trail. And I'm going to keep this really simple. I said I really like this Frisco Reedy team a week ago. I think they could maybe find a way into a regional final. And I'm going to keep with that energy. I really like guys like Caleb Smith, A.J. Gyro. There's a couple guys that have been around Texas Flex and all that for a long time. And, uh, you know, you know, clients of our, of our boy O. And uh, I just – I really like uh, this Reedy team. I've had a little bit of a Frisco renaissance, which is, is everything I'm against typically, but I like a couple <laughs> of their teams this year. Um, Hudson and I were talking about this yesterday. Be really curious if, if the brackets were flipped here, if we got a Reedy-Longview game in the second round instead of a Lone Star-Longview game. I don't think Lone Star is typically what they've been in the past, but I think this Reedy team is pretty dang good. And the schools are right down the road from each other, so that's kind of intriguing. But, um, yeah, give me Reedy at the IHOP. I, I really like this Reedy team. I'm happy you mentioned Caleb Smith especially because – he has been so good as a senior and he was intriguing to me, I guess, heading into the season and then upped it to another level. I believe D committed from Texas tech and I believe trending to Notre Dame. Yeah. He um, just, he got a Notre Dame off for like as soon as he decommitted or right before he decommitted something like that. So really talented player at the same time, if this game was in like, especially if this game somehow was at the star, if they would have flipped for it, Maybe I'm leaning towards Reedy, but because it's going to be outdoors, Lancaster's running uh, attack is really good. And just their strength of schedule, having the win over Sock, competing against Denton Geyer and at Longview at Lobo Stadium, I, I'm I'm putting my, some respect on Lancaster and I'm going to roll with them to win this game. For what it's worth, it looks like that offer was a re-offer. For Caleb okay. from Notre Dame, and he did visit Notre Dame. I think when they played Clemson, so he was there on a good night. But yeah, um, anyway, just from a recruiting standpoint, yeah. So quickly, I had to make an edit to the Google Doc because somebody wrote, wrote "Joy in Ralph Ellis Stadium," which is technically, I guess, the name of the stadium now, but it will always be Irving. So oh, was that there. what it said? Okay, yes. okay. Um, <laughs> we do not refer to it as that. It is ISS. It is Irving School Stadium. Always has been. Always will be. Um, I, I think Hudson makes a great point about the setting of the game. Um, I think that, you know, if you, if you're aware of where ISS is positioned in South Irving, it is a lot closer to Lancaster than it is, uh, to Reedy. But I, uh, I like the trench advantage Reedy has in this game. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on them. Uh, I'll go with the Lions. Max Anderson. Yeah, God, I can't believe that I didn't mention him. Great pole guy in the 24 class. Um, younger brother of the uh, Oklahoma, Anderson, I believe. Yes, correct. Who also went to read? What was his first name again? It's, it's eluding me. 
Or uh, escaping them. Um, it is me as well. Was it Blake or something? No. <laughs> oh, God. What was his name? I'm just going to keep on. Li- Frisco Reedy Anderson. Let's see Google. I, I don't think he played it's gonna it. It's going to frustrate me. Did he? Nick Anderson. No, no. Nate. Nate. Okay. Did he play at Reedy? Yes, he did. He was uh, starting okay. off as a tight end and then was moved to tackle. Okay. That's some insane sort of Elkhorn drill or something at the uh, opening, I recall. All right. Okay. Um, so here's the bonus round. I'll let Hudson yeah. dive into the nitty-gritty of it more than me, but I, I do kind of like this setup. It's kind it's in the end, it's it's really kind of an all or nothing. Um yeah. and there there will be no wheel because assuming Mike still stands in the same trenches I'm in on this. It's kind of me and Mike versus Hudson on this debate. Yeah, and we've basically previewed this all season where I am really believing. I mean, since the uh, first preview show, right, where I picked Edinburgh Vela to make it to a state semifinal game, got some, uh, you know, jeers because I believe Miller was the consensus pick for both of you. In in uh, 5A, uh, I believe D1 Region 4, Corpus Christi Veterans Memorial against Edinburgh Vela and PSJA North against Corpus Christi Miller are two of the best games of the weekend. We couldn't just pick one and we didn't want two to be in the official pick them. So we decided to do them both as like half bonus games because we've kind of been in the same camp all year where I've been with the Rio Grande Valley and then Mike and Guy understandably have backed Corpus Christi who traditionally um, kind of uh, and, and especially when there isn't a clear San Antonio team is the 5A region four aside. So I guess just quickly is, is anybody thinking about potentially flipping? I'm staunch with the PSGA North and Edinburgh Vela. Anybody getting off one of those? I'm not, I'm all corpus here. I will say, I think it's an interesting matchups. Um, it's per. It's almost as if like a fight promoter had made them. I think they're perfect matchups before an eventual regional final. Yeah, because you get the two teams with a lot of team speed and athletes in opposite games. Like Vela and Miller are a lot closer to each other than like Vela and PSJ North. Agreed. And so that's that's kind of interesting, and and you could kind of see that play out with the PSJ North and Vela game earlier this year, where I think North got them by just kind of beating them up. Correct, Hudson. Yeah, and Step was yeah. at that game. Step's impression was that Vela was extremely vanilla on offense because there was some sort of an understanding of we don't want to show them everything in the playbook. So I, I guess just for the listeners, Vets Memorial and Edinburgh Vela play each other. Um, and Vela actually enters that game as a 17-point favorite, according to the DCTF computer. And North playing Miller is a nine-point favorite in favor of North, actually. So uh, the, the two Valley teams are both favored, according to the computer. And and this is kind of Valley week for them this year, like right? Yeah, instead, absolutely. Instead of, going to, instead of going to San Antonio and playing Austin area or San Antonio teams, you're playing Corpus teams. Because so. both of both of these Rio Grande Valley teams are 6A drop-downs, right? So instead of having to play a Lake Travis or an Austin Westlake who has been really victimizing both of these uh, schools because of the Division Two of 6A, now you drop down and you have seemingly a much uh, 
a much more favorable path, even though, you know, there's a chance that the Valley sweeps, I mean, the, you know, Corpus Christi sweeps this and it's just kind of more of the same. Right. And it's fascinating for someone like Miller, right? Um, because North is a 6A drop down. So they're one of the largest 5As in the state. Miller is coming up from 4A. <laughs> Yep. And jumped D2 to go with D1 so that the Corpus schools could all be together. And that's better for scheduling and, and transportation and all that. So um, that's just kind of a fascinating twist on all this. It's like it's a 6A and a 4A team a year ago playing each other. Both of these Corpus Christi schools are also terribly confusing to get a read on. Corpus Christi Vets Memorial loses a non-district game to El Campo by 13. 4A El Campo, who Miller just absolutely bludgeons. But then when Miller plays Vets Memorial, you know, obviously, um, you know, Vets comes up with the win and leads to this situation where as the number one seed in the district, they're still a 17-point dog against Edinburgh Vela. So really interesting. Mike, uh, I'm curious your thoughts. I looked at our prep sheet and I saw that the PSJ North uh, Miller game is at Corpus Christi's Cabinet Stadium. And I had a bit of dys- dyslexia and thought it said Cannabis Stadium. And then I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm on Miller because um, loyalty. Uh, and I like their team. Speed. I think Lonnie Atkinson's the dude um, to be like the game breaker uh, against PSJ North. I'm going to take Bella, though, in the first game. Oh, okay. So wow. that that, that introduces an interesting wrinkle because I was oh, so we say talked about this earlier, uh, maybe late last week. You were like, I th- I assumed I assumed that you would stay. But for late the last I just, week, you and I were talking somewhere else, and you said, "I said, hey, I got boys at Miller. I got to support them." And you were like, "Well, you don't at um, at vets, so you got to jump on it on uh, Velo with us." And I said, "Sure." I'll take I this. assumed that there was some DCTF oh. peer pressure. No, give me the, the Sabercats in this one. So what okay, do we so, do, Hudson? So we were going to make this to where if you had Corpus Christi, it was just an even point. And if you had uh, the, Valley. the Valley, you had an even point. Just so there wasn't two points being added into the pick And if you um, didn't, if you split, we just nobody wins anything. Exactly. It's, it's just evens points. out. Now, because of the split, I think we might have to go to the half-point system, which would just really wreck havoc and I think it'd be a lot of fun. So we could have a half-point in our record? Yes. Okay, all right. Which I think is great for the bit of just – I mean, the season's, under, <laughs> the season's under protest anyway, so who cares, right? True. I mean, let's honestly just pick 30 games next week <laughs> since uh, we're under protest. Uh, Mike, I guess with your Vela pick, you've kind of already said this, but Guy, would you agree that if you d- if you're a, a Valley non-believer, still Vela and Vets oh yeah, Memorial- like if I wasn't going with the bid, I would probably pick Vela in this game. Okay, but that, that seems like the that seems like the uh, team that pick. Yeah. could get it done. Yeah, Where, I, I, I don't know. I'm gonna just stick with it. Okay. But I, you know, you look at that spread and kind of know what I know about Vela now. And even talking to Steph about them, like in person, it's like, eh. <laughs> I don't know. But I've got to stick with it. So I'm this going is to. Great. It's going to be so awesome when it's four, four and a half and one, to one and a half. Isn't that incredible, too, where Guy sticks with his guns on someone like Vets Memorial, but somehow Kilgore just 
falls in my memory. Yeah, we were thinking about maybe even picking Kilgore El Campo because it was such a fantastic game, and it's an interesting time. It's at 1 o'clock, I believe, at Willis's Stadium. But we made the executive decision not to um, – Not to put Mike in that spot. Yeah. Even though I'm sure – Guy, I probably would have picked Kilgore. Oh, I would have easily picked Kilgore. Okay. But, again, don't want to put Mike in that spot. Yeah, the There's best one more player game plays that... at El Campo, but the better team is Kilgore. Agreed. There's one more game that I feel like we have to talk about before getting out of here. Really quickly, Sock and Lovejoy both play with their food in serious ways in round one. Um, All of us picked Sock to win a state title, which personally, uh, uh, y'all know this because of our group text, but I was not feeling great when they were in a dogfight with uh, Mansfield Summit down seven to six before Randy Reese punt return touchdown eventually gave them the win. I yeah, I mean, Mike, on either. you and I are going to be together. No, yeah. uh, agreed. I mean, it's a, uh, they called it on DCTF the anxiety bowl, and it is. Right. I mean, it's a, who knows? Does Sock get it figured out? Does Sock, I, like, uh, there's nothing with Sock's offense that gives me a ton of faith in him, but I picked him to win state, so um um, <laughs> yeah, kinda, kinda, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I'm locked in with him at this point. I think one thing of note that has also, not been said out there publicly. By the ahead. way, I wasn't there last week. And uh, last year I had a perfect 6-0 record in the playoffs at Sock Games. Um, they asked us to return. Guy returned last week, but I was not there. So, um, Mike, maybe- you mentioned that you might have you been uh, banned from campus if they would have lost that Summit game. Yeah, I might have uh, a bonus of me coming back to the sideline, maybe. Although I am, I would. Maybe they feel um, rejuvenated when they see your face. I'm one and two, I guess, this season. We'll so. yeah. Playoffs are a different season. That's true. Also, the narrative possibility if Sox somehow just 63 to nothings them. <laughs> oh, I would cry. Um, tears of joy. But uh, not my official prediction. That's not against Lovejoy, but I, I just socks. That's family. I'd but, probably, um, I'd probably lean Lovejoy right now just because I know they can score. Although at the same time, socks offense could not be fixed, and they still maybe could find a way to rush for two hundred yards against Lovejoy's defense, which gave up, I believe, thirty-four to a White House squad that's not exactly crushing it. Yeah, boy, if White House would have opened that thing or won that game, that would have completely just opened up the region. But uh, um, the McCoy kid for White House was really good last last week. Yeah, I, I think the one thing of note from a week going on, how much of this has been said, you know, publicly, was obvious that that Javon Thomas came back. That was reported. But one thing that I've not heard on any really podcast, and maybe it was written somewhere, but you know. Javon fumbled the ball. It was part of three fumbles a week ago. He fumbled two on his own, and then there was a, a problem at the mesh point on the handoff on one as well. And so um, just interesting to kind of see how he calibrates a week later in his second game of the season. Um, you know, it just takes a while. Hudson and I were talking about this yesterday for guys to kind of get back in football shape from the standpoint of just taking hits, absorbing that type of contact, and really just being – up for the fight. Um, and there was another play where he got stuffed on a two-point conversion after Randy's um, punt return. Or I didn't know how much he really wanted to get back up after that. So it was really cold outside. It being indoors helps just from keeping your body lubed up, obviously, and, and ready to roll. Uh, um, but 
they're going to need him to be big this week and play a lot better than he did a week ago. Should you mention the fact that it's indoors? Should we also mention the fact that that maybe plays a factor in this game and could help Lovejoy? For sure. Like, it, yeah. Because last year, when you had Kevin Henry Jennings, who the quarterback for Sock, who ended up at SMU, if you wanted to play indoor, the Sock staff was like, "Yeah, sure, we'll just throw for, we'll just put up fifty on." Unfortunately, right. that dynamic doesn't exist with this year's team. So. Ideally, I think the Golden Bears probably would have wanted this game in the elements where it's not going to be as easy to find, you know, Parker Livingstone on a, you know, 14 yard comeback route. So I don't know, kind of leaning Lovejoy now, even though Sox my state title pick. I'm very happy this isn't a pick them, but I just felt like before we got out of here, um, we probably should talk about it, considering how much space Lovejoy and Sock have kind of taken up on the podcast all season long. Any other games you want to talk about? Before we get out of here, I'm trying to think. Um, oh, Hampshire Finette. Small school for Scott. That's Hampshire Finette, uh, Waco yeah. Connolly. Yeah, I mean, Hampshire Finette with a huge win a week ago. They don't really have the name power that someone like Waco Connolly has from a recruit perspective, but probably one of the better four team or four lost teams in the state. Um, really battle tested, played with the best of the best in 4AD1 all year and they get another test. And I, I think the thing with Connell is they've got the big names on top of the roster, but it's the guys that fill out the roster after those names are have already been said. So um I have mentioned Connolly's had some really good teams in recent history and yeah. fallen extremely short. Um one more game for sure. I well, want to mention let me say this about here. that game though okay. before you move on. If Hampshire Finette ruins my chance to see Connolly and Silsby, I'll never forgive them. Yeah, you 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 will join uh, my. I don't hate Hampshire Finette. I like them. I picked for them, but a late hit and a pretty dirty hit against Hampshire Finette also ruined my football career. So not a whole lot of love for the uh, horns about that. Yep. down in uh, the you know rice paddies of Southeast Texas. Um, well, the we game should mention or, or Hudson. Yeah, we should mention Burleson Centennial in Lake Belton was one of our picks last week. We all picked Lake Belton, and Boy, honestly, wrong. we did. I I listened back to make sure that we didn't disrespect Centennial, and we didn't. We mentioned that this was a coin flip game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now Centennial gets Amarillo Tascosa after putting up fifty six on the Lake Belton Broncos. It's a two thirty game. It's a Spider Man game. It's a oh, is it 2.30? In uh, Friday in Wichita Falls. Um, part of me thought about making the run down there and then trying to come back to Frisco. Um, as as I've said before, I've got a one of my family friends, very close friend, is the uh, DC, or secondary coach at Centennial. And his sons are, are my best friends. And um, both of them are in playoff games as well, South Grand Prairie and Kennedale. And so I was talking to him on the phone the other day, and he said, well, we're playing Tuscosa, which means the game's going to go about two hours and 15 minutes because <laughs> neither of us are going to throw a pass because it'll end at 5. I'll get in the car, drive directly to Arlington. I'll drop my wife off at one of their games where so they're playing at Choctaw and the others at Pennington. So perfect. Mike, it's maybe one of those things where if they were playing in Decatur, you would 100% be at that game. Yeah, if it was just a little closer, I, pr- I probably would 100% be there. Of course, with you being up there and in the the boonies now, you you could make a poke and and get there if you if you had to. 
I could, God, but then I would risk getting caught in traffic trying to come back and yeah. see the Yellow Brick Road game. And that's that's going to be a circus <laughs> from a media perspective anyways. That's the main event. Like getting in and getting settled and getting a seat and all that. I, you know, I'm I'm gonna count. I'm I'm gonna hope my boys from Centennial get the dub and um, maybe I can see them in the third round. I mentioned this to Gabe and Mike, but TJ Tillman um, for Amarillo Tascosa is a 25 that people should take note of. Obviously, last year I was probably the biggest major Everhart uh, fan in the business. And TJ Tillman reminds me a lot of him, to be completely honest. He was excellent in district play and had another really good playoff uh, game. And I don't know. That's just that's one that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, only other ones that I could think of were Rockswall, uh, sorry, Rockwall, Waxahachie, and Lake Travis Cibolo Steel. Those two are kind of the other games that are, I mean, Mike mentioned it. Second round just is full of bangers. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the best uh, outside state championship week and the excitement of week one. It's the best week of the season. I'm pretty firm on that because okay. regional finals have just as good of games, but there's more games in the area around. So it's just kind of a sure. buffet. You get a lot more of the triple headers, the weekends like Mike and I are about to have where you go see four or five games. It just lines up well with the schedule. So, um, Anyway, that does it for me. Yeah, my games, by the way. Um, my games. Yeah, or Mike, just name them for us. We're together. Thursday, I'm going to see DeSoto Rockwall Heath, Friday, Geyer, and uh, Highland Park. Um, Saturday, I will see Lovejoy and Sock, and then Saturday night at the Star, Pleasant Grove and Cattle Mills, in uh, what should be a fun Saturday night game. Thursday for me, there's a chance that I make it out to Waller to see Anahuac Franklin, which is kind of is a very Hudson game. Um, Anahuac has a 25 quarterback that I'm pretty eager to get eyes on. And obviously Bryson Washington at Franklin is that dude, the uh, Baylor commit. Maybe a chance that I go to DeSoto Heath too, depending on road conditions and everything like that. Friday, going to be at Waco ISD Stadium to see Colleen Harker Heights take on Roy City. Um, and then Saturday we'll be at home as, uh, you know, helping do some remote coverage for Texas versus Kansas. Hopefully the horns can get a dub there. Can I just mention one more game? Because I do want to give uh, <laughs> sure. some credit. Louisville plays Arlington Martin, which I feel like for a lot of people might be a headliner and we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Guy, I just wanted to give you credit for nailing the Louisville pick last week, even though I think we were all in agreement on what type of – on the fact that that game could easily be the farmers. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of smelled like the Harker Heights, the Soto game a year ago in some ways, but I just kind of felt more confidence in, in Louisville, which I usually don't. Um, but yeah, they got it done. Now they get to, to face off with a, a Martin team that they've gotten to know really well in the last two years, the, the two programs have split in the playoffs and now they'll get the, the rubber match. Mike, anything from you before we head off? No, I think that's it. I think I'm good. I, uh, we appreciate everybody for listening. Hudson, you have anything else before I, before I send us off? <laughs> no, let's get out of here. All right. We appreciate everybody for listening. We appreciate um, uh, all the feedback. We hope everybody's enjoying the playoffs. Guy, we hope that you uh, get, get things done with your paper there and can – uh, can rejoin us for some playoff action, be fully locked in and not worried about that schoolwork. So uh, for Guy Guy Frazier, Hudson Sandish, I'm Mike Roach. We will see you guys next time.